Broadcasting from the 72nd floor of First Canadian Place in the heart of Toronto's financial district, this is Hashtag Finance, the podcast that profiles innovative entrepreneurs and thought leaders operating in the public markets. Presented to you by the CSE, the exchange for entrepreneurs. Folks, thanks for watching or listening to Hashtag Finance. It's James Black. We're at the 72nd floor of First Canadian Place and pleased to be joined by Frank Holmes, returning again as a guest on the podcast. Frank, how are you doing? How are things? How is PDAC? It's outstanding. You know, the <laughs> fact that I'm alive and thriving. Uh, I turned 65 last week, so yes, I'm blowing and going, as they say. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, but I think uh, the PDAC, and I'll tell you about my BMO experience. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah. Because let, lots let me, of happening in the mining world. Yeah, lots happening. And, and maybe just as for the listeners, just to set up real quick, uh, if you don't know Frank, I mean, maybe just give us 30 seconds on Frank Holmes. And then what we'll use this podcast and this discussion for is an opportunity to... Uh, Again, take a deep breath and, and try to decompress from PDAC, the world's biggest mining conference. And you mentioned the BMO conference too. Um, we probably learned a few things over the last week. So first, just just reintroduce people to who Frank Holmes is, and then we'll jump into the, the fray. I am the Chief Investment Officer uh, and CEO of U.S. Global Investors, which has participated in the creation of many mining companies, uh, and also the first uh, blockchain company to come into Canada that brought in a whole billion dollars from the U.S. investing in it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm from Toronto. I'm a Texcan, they say. Mm -hmm. Y'all come back, eh? I've been living in Texas for 30 years, uh, and I come back and forth uh, to the beautiful country of Canada. It is beautiful, even though it snows and we had a nice dump last week. It's now beautiful. That's Toronto for you. Um, PDAC, so most people listening probably know what PDAC is, but it's a, it's a huge resource show. It's got a huge investment component. Uh, tens of thousands of people, well, maybe this year, just 20,000 people, I think, by my rough count. But they came to Toronto, they went to the, uh, the conference center, and they were listening to people such as yourself and other experts in the space uh, to learn more about gold and, and other resource uh, and metals and minerals uh, for investment purposes. And... You know, leading into the show, we saw a real, you know, momentum, a real energy behind gold and precious metals, uh, uh, you know, obviously because of what's happening in the world with the coronavirus potentially and with what's happening on China as a result. Um, but from your perspective, after this show, do you, do you think all the, the excitement in buying gold was warranted? Is it going to hold or did we get a bit of a depression after that? Did people feel a little less excited after the show because of, of what we saw? I don't think there's any depression over buying the commodity. Right. I think the concern is, and it's just all math uh, looking back, are stocks. So the great bull market of junior mining to developers to big producers of 2001 to 2007, mm -hmm. you had rising commodities, but you also had rising stocks. And that's when the stocks really perform exceptionally well. And after 2008, we had the gold go from 700 up to um, what 1,200, then corrected, then went up to 1,900. Yeah. And ever since then, um, all the regulations, et cetera, have been very difficult on the gold mining industry or mining period. And two is that the, the, the captains of the mining industry did a lot of deals just to grow the top line, not on a per share basis. So they sort of hurt themselves. And what I see from PDAC and I saw from BMO, they're much more conservative and cautious. So even though we're seeing gold rally uh, and everyone talked about, especially Robert Freeland said, yeah. who last year? 
would have forecast um, a palladium to go from uh, twelve thousand dollars to twenty seven hundred, or rhodium from seventeen hundred to thirteen thousand. Yeah. So why can't gold go to twenty seven hundred? And why can't? And I've been saying why can't it go to ten thousand with the amount of money being printed? So there is a lot of uh, interest in the underlying commodity uh, for because of the money printing and also peak supply. Peak supply is, and we're there, or we're getting there, no, or it's we're behind there. us. We're there in gold, and I think okay. Mark Bristol did a great job uh, from the CEO of, of Barrick yeah. speaking at BMO conference, uh, highlighted that it is there, and they just have to basically make sure they can maintain their production. It's very hard to move the dial to increase it dramatically, uh, and I think that we're going to. And, and the other big ex- explanation was: look at palladium. Mm-hmm. After about three to four years of shrinking supply. All of a sudden, you get this mega run that's taking place in the palladium. <laughs> how, do, how does that happen, though? People just, they're not forecasting demand for no, the just, end products or what? They like, dismiss it. Right, okay. They just dismiss it. Yeah. And uh, so, people, like people have been dismissing electric cars for so long now that they're finally realizing, oh my God, we're going to need all these precious metals and yeah, absolutely yeah so it's real uh until there's all of a sudden the demand just all of a sudden starts getting these spikes mm-hmm. and everyone wonders what was taking place so i think there's no frackers around they and there was peak oil until the frackers came along right and there's no real technological breakthrough except for a little company called Goldspot that's doing ai uh that yamana said helped them have discoveries and what it really does is de-risk exploration spending. Yeah. So rather than spending $10 million, it can prioritize and de-risk it that you only have to spend 2 to $3 million to see if you're going to get this positive outcome. Um, but there's nothing. Only Superman can see through the ground, mm-hmm. and he has problems with lead. Yeah. So there, there's no no technological breakthrough. And this is really important to realize there's there's technological breakthroughs on batteries. There's technological breakthroughs on driving uh, autonomous cars uh, using AI. Yeah. Uh, but they need metals. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we looked at uh, we had a company present called EnviroLeach, which is innovating in the in the and then how you leach out metals from e-waste and other uh, ore bodies. And, and that was one that got me excited saying, you know, you can now make it more feasible to take less yield, yes, less yield, lower yield tonnage, and uh, perhaps leach it out in a more effective manner, not use cyanide, more environmentally friendly. Um, but you know, the, the way that Dwayne Nelson describes his technology, it's the first innovation, uh, meaningful innovation in his space since 1870 or something crazy. It's, it's like not a fast moving industry when it comes to technology. But uh, now your experience in technology, I just wanna relay what you've done with Hive and, and Ethereum mining and related to gold. So again, talking about a higher uh, gold price, people are going to start looking at perhaps that's being driven as a store of value in the macro circumstance that we're seeing with coronavirus. Do you see any, A, do you agree with that? But B, is Ethereum going to be, or crypto like Bitcoin going to be another store of value in a world that's fastly becoming more volatile, a little scarier because people don't know how to peg what Corona is going to do to this entire uh, economy, its global economy. What I look at, my opinion, Bitcoin is going to become an art collection. <laughs> okay. And, and so if you had Andy Warhol prints, the original prints for Mao, they came out at $1,000, they went to 10000 went to 25000 fell back to ten, went up to fifty, fell back, and then went to a quarter million. 
Yeah. So there's a limited supply. Uh, it's it's and especially if they're what they're called Genesis or Virgin coins, they're going to become more valuable, uh, and that's where I think they're going to become the sort of the digital world collector's item. Mm-hmm. Freeland had a great Robert Freeland had a great visual showing cars, and uh, in the visual was a picture of nothing but horse buggies, but one car. And seven years later, the picture on, on Fifth Avenue was all cars and one horse buggy. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a tipping point that all of a sudden people wake up to the price of copper has got to trade much higher. The price of gold has got to trade much higher. And with all this funny money being printed, yeah. governments go and issue you know $30 billion and no one buys it, so they buy it themselves. And now they go and buy Apple. You know the Swiss are one of the largest shareholders of Apple Computer? Mm-hmm. And they're buying it because they get a dividend. They own Microsoft. So they basically float money at a negative rate Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable, but what's happened is that the, the the G7 countries and now the G20 are a cartel. Yeah. And they're like an OPEC cartel. And they can all co- collectively print money and say that we have to do it to save the world. Not from green, but we have to save the world for the economy. So they all help each other out, print all this money, and it's the first mover advantage to real assets. Right, right. Now, so... You know, if if owning gold in as close to physical form as you can is a, you know, hedge against inflation, which is kind of what you're mentioning here, is just print money. Does it correlate with holding crypto? Do you see the two acting similarly in a portfolio? They do. You know, um, I launched high blockchain because I couldn't launch an ETF. <laughs> well, I had all this knowledge going, and basically, AML concerns superseded any launching of a product, both in the U.S. or Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the idea of mining a virgin coin appealed to me that it would give me you know, um, uh, no AML risks. Right. Yeah, I, I don't have that issue, and uh, and so that's why I went into that field. Uh, I never expected would uh, you know all of a sudden see a billion dollars come in to create thirty other companies emulating that model. Mm-hmm. Um, but I and then you had this sort of hyperbolic run up like you did with. 1999 with eyeballs for internet yeah. and then you have this incredible crash and then all comes and the from the internet boom was google it didn't come at the beginning it was yahoo and none, yahoo none of the big ones other than amazon are really kicking around anymore and yeah. so you're going to have the same thing in the crypto space so i think that bitcoin mm-hmm. is going to become a collector's item but i think ethereum is going to become the protocol that is used, and we are seeing that with all the alternative coins or ICOs or other countries, uh, uh, India, China, sure. they are using that algorithm. So I think Ethereum, because of the smart contract. It's got more utility than Bitcoin across different uh, applications for sure. And, and um, do you understand how it works? I want you to tell our audience how it works because I probably have a misguided understanding of it, it at this it, point. It's confusing. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, it took <laughs> me a lot trying to scratch my head to understand a metaphor. So the simplest metaphor is think of a safety deposit box. Yeah. And you have that little dial and you've got to go back and forth to remember three numbers. Yeah. And when it comes to, to unlock what's inside that safety deposit box, uh, when it comes to Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's 64 digits. You don't have to remember unlock three. You have to unlock 64. And it's like an Olympic race that mm-hmm. who first unlocks it and locks it up gets a new coin free. That's right. So but it takes now, a lot of computing power to do that. It does. And yeah. also good algorithms. Mm-hmm. So what happens, you, you stack these computers. And so what people would understand is that what's inside the safe 
That transaction between you and I, nobody knows. Yeah. But they know where the safe has been on an open ledger. Mm -hmm. And you have all these people around the world that are are validating there's been no hacking of that where that, that safety deposit box. It's safe. And so they get stacked on top of on top of each other. Yeah. And you know if it's been to a dark pool. You know if it's been into a dangerous place. So they automatically with new software get thrown out. And that's why I like mining the Genesis coin, the Virgin coin, because I don't have to worry about that that risk. But when you come to Bitcoin, it's basically an economic transaction between two parties that's locked in. But when it comes to Ethereum, mm -hmm. it's data, like your insurance, your mortgage contract. Uh, it has all these other types of digital contracts that can be put in there or they rep some warranties for a credit default swap. Or a security, like a stock. Which, Correct. Yes, which uh, we've been thinking about here at the exchange. So, so. you don't know what's inside, mm -hmm. but you know that there's that where the transactions have taken place yep. and that's what makes it unique and special but ethereum is much faster at processing than bitcoin mm -hmm. uh bitcoin cash is faster than bitcoin but the but basically ethereum is just a more resilient uh, uh algorithm and yeah. it has thirty thousand scientists around the world and and ten thousand basically nodes validating yeah, I know it's it's huge, and and it's got a uh, you know you talk about speed. I mean, with Bitcoin, I mean to have that immutable ledger, um, that data it kind of collects moss as it goes along. It's it gets heavier as it moves through the system, and I think that's been one of the challenges with uh, crypto and uh, and some of these blockchain protocols is that you know if you want to have all that transparency in data, it's not like changing hands with cash. My pocket's now ten dollars lighter when I give you my ten dollar bill. I've given you that token or that's uh, crypto security. And it's got the history of everything that's happened before, and it carries that along the path. And um, I think that, to my understanding, that's a computing challenge of these securities or these... Uh, these uh, the bigger part yeah. is the credit default swaps. Okay. So it was calculated, and I was in Switzerland at a, at a, at a finance uh, event for crypto and blockchain, mm -hmm. that had um, all the credit defaults been on blockchain, that the Federal Reserve could have written a check mm -hmm. for the problem, and it was eight billion. But they were worried there was 400 billion. <laughs> so no one knew. Yeah, well, that's. And but if had it been in an open ledger, uh, they would have known the parties been between, but they would have known where it's been. They could have added up the net uh, value of these in the seconds. Uh, it would never have been. You, we would never have that crisis. Right. Right. Well, we don't know how much gold is in Fort Knox, so who knows who's holding what, really? Well, based on what's in Fort Knox, <laughs> Indian women wear six times uh, the gold on their bodies and has protected them from all governments and bad policies. Yeah, well, good luck bringing that all into one spot if you ever needed it, I guess. But let's let's talk about PDAC for a sec. So, um, again, I, the reason I come back to it is because we spent a lot of time at the show. <laughs> we spent a lot of time getting people ready for the show. And when I went to the show, and I was there for most of it, um, I, I noticed that... Um, my foot traffic that I saw at my booth and at the show, and it seemed a lot lighter than I expected. And I think what I didn't see there was the retail investor. So usually when you put out pens at a table, if there's a big retail show up at the, at the event, those pens disappear. This year was hand sanitizers with their logo on it. But um, this is, this is I want to ask this- Little canned food. Uh, <laughs> I already went, I got mine, but seriously, like if we gave that out, maybe we would have seen a few more fly off. But I don't think the retail crowd was there is what I'm trying to say. And I'm trying to understand if that matters anymore. Like, are they just getting their information online? I know you write a newsletter. It, it, to me, the show felt like, uh, 
more of like an industry gathering. It was it was me running into people at my clients and no, stuff like I, that. I think it's coronavirus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think uh, at um, uh, the BMO conference, uh, mm-hmm. it came out that some of the major mining companies didn't show. Yeah. There's uh, empty booths. Doubles. And and, um, and so they had a jockey around who's speaking. Yeah. Um, everyone was uh, enthusiastic about the commodity prices, uh, except for uh, basic uh, copper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, the retail component is very fearful. Uh, and and smart investors like Eric's products, et cetera, you know, he's off in Bahamas and his island yeah. and wants to wait till the, it's all quiet uh, on the yeah. Western front. Uh, and and so that's really, Robbie Kuhn at this event uh, also expressed it. Now I'm a member of YPO and YPO is Young Presidents Organization. And, and there's about 25,000 members around the world. Yeah. But they represent 10% of the world's GDP. The people do in the group. That group. Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so they canceled their big shindig every year. And this year was supposed to be in San Diego. It wasn't in Singapore. It wasn't Hong Kong. Uh, it was in San Diego. And they had lots of concerns from around the world. Mm-hmm. Now, that took place last week. And so that was a telling sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the whole drama in the U.S. When, when Trump first canceled flights coming from China into the U.S., oh, Mealy's a racist. No, their reconnaissance was for, was f- fastest to do it, and it's interesting for me because the sort of socialist policy of open borders in Europe, yeah, they're having much bigger problems. Well, that that's been a, an issue with immigration, and now it's, so now yeah, now yeah. it has a coronavirus. Yeah. yeah, so you have to have better checks and balance. So you do. So we worry in Texas about drug lords coming across easily. Mm-hmm. We worry about the caravan of, of people being used as as mules. If they don't carry uh, drugs across, then they have to pay a big bounty to be able to get across. Yeah. So there has to be checks and balances, and it's, and so the coronavirus it doesn't care about your race, your religion, your gender. Uh, it doesn't care. It's just going to kill you, and uh, and so it's recognizing that we have to have better checks and balances across borders. And Brexit was over this. It wasn't a coronavirus, but it was bad socialist policies in, in, for young people right. in Spain, Italy, and France. You can't get a job if you're under 25. You can be an engineer. So what would you do? You went to England. Yeah. Now, England's system could handle 500,000 people a year. Two million are coming in. Their health care, nothing can really support it. And, and the regulations kept coming in from the EU. So so it was saying we need to have checks and balances. So I think, my opinion, right. that the coronavirus is going to be a sea change like the TSA was created mm-hmm. after 9-11. That we're going to see this sort of greater discipline of uh, checks and balances of people coming to the country, where you've been. There's going to be a lot of money spent on technology to be able to read you. Do you know AI now can read how you walk? So not only your eyes, your fingerprints. Uh, I noticed when I was flying recently in Delta Airlines uh, that you just had to use your face and was identifying you in your seat. And so it's being tested (laughs) like your iPhone does facial recognition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's now pretty good with facial. So when these rioters turn around and wear facial stuff, et cetera, masks, don't worry. They can tell by your walk now. And it's now only 80% success, but that's a pretty high number. So I think that we're going to see more checks and balances like this to protect societies. Because the number one word of people investing is, are you safe? Yes, you want to speculate, yeah. but are you safe from being cheated? Are you safe from fraud? Are you safe from, from a whole host of events? 
That's what people want to do when they walk in the streets. They want to feel safe. Well, they want to have and, and to the economics of it all. I mean, look what happened to the market. It went crazy down last week, and then they back up another record day because that's money printing. And, and the volatility is not good for our economic safety. It's it's a it's a risk to the system. And while some of us do well when it happens, it's uh, it doesn't engender or create confidence in the system. You're correct. And, Absolutely. And that's a problem. So. Um, let's take a couple couple more points here to share with our audience. Uh, you went to these great conferences. I'll say, I, maybe not ironically, maybe this is just time and what happened over the last month. I was in Davos, Switzerland during the WAF, and uh, not not three weeks later, Switzerland called off all events over a thousand people. So I wonder if uh, they nudged that one in there before, because they, they, who's not going to know that that's something they got to avoid, right? Um, the Corona, but. Uh, Let's, um, you know, you mentioned... But they didn't have good data. You know, that was yeah, the whole thing know. of the data coming out of China was was a totally complete. And in Italy was a complete disarray this morning. Sure. The health minister says that there's no problems. And the head of education comes out and says we're shutting down all schools and universities. <laughs> so you want to talk about dysfunctional socialist country. Yeah. There you go. Japan seems to be the most on it, uh, as far as I can tell, from a public policy standpoint. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me. They seem like they're a pretty organized bunch. Um, but again, so you're mentioning, you, you pegged a gold price of 2700 bucks, maybe 10000 This is just a general question. Why are you guys always trying to outdo each other on the gold projection? <laughs> Isn't 2000 good enough? Can we just get there first and then decide if we're going to get to 10000 Because we're always sitting around. We've, we've been pretty kind of stable price for a while. Do you really think it's going to get it's there? It's because guys like you ask. Right? <laughs> What's the weather going to be? What is the first thing most people do in the morning? They check what the weather's going to be outside. Yeah. So when it comes to investing, people yeah. are always trying to predict. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't mind saying, why can't it be? Like, I'm not saying it's going to happen on this day at this day. No, I don't do that. Yeah. But I've, I've never witnessed where governments like in Denmark were paying you to take out a mortgage. So there's, there's, so what you're saying is there's, there's clearly identifiable themes happening right now that are unique to this time and place, uh, this era that could contribute to your projection. Yes, because the money printing. Yeah. And, and gold is highly correlated to negative real interest rates. So yep. if you took the aggregation of the G20 countries and you look at all their bonds that are floating in that world and you look back and say they're negative rates. And it's for your listeners, mm. it's the government's trying to seduce you to buy their bond. Their two-year bond is paying you 1%, but inflation is running at 2.7. Guess what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to lose 1.7 for two years? I'm not going to buy that. So the government turns around and says, don't worry, our central bank will buy it. And then they'll take that money and they'll go buy dividend paying stocks. So what's unprecedented mm -hmm. is the Swiss government is not buying gold. They're not buying gold. Okay, what they buy? Cadbury's, <laughs> Nestle's. Um, oh, uh, Microsoft. They, they pay the dividends. Uh, right? They pay dividends, and the dividends higher than they're able to print this funny money. Yeah. And so there's like collusion between all these central banks, uh, rather than have fiscal discipline of, of deregulation and simplifying things. No, they're just going to use funny money. Okay. And so this, the smarter people are running out there to say, how do I get in and buy dividend-paying stocks and have a growth profile like REITs? Yeah. Uh, utilities. When 2008-2009 crash took place, what stocks performed best? Those that have the ability to always, you need it. You need electricity for the lights today. Yep. Uh, and so those utilities become very valuable. Uh, and so I think that this there's a big paradigm shift that's taken place. Uh, and the other big one is sort of the pushback. Uh, and I don't believe it was Trump that started it. I believe it was Modi in mm -hmm. India. 
Yeah. If you look at a tough guy coming in, mm -hmm. I mean, how many tens of thousands of people lost their life when he reversed the currency, basically, took away all the cheap paper money, came up with new ones, and if you didn't turn it in, your paper money's worth nothing, basically, yeah. to try to catch cheats. Well, that's pretty strong. And then you have China ushers in, a tough guy. Uh, we already had uh, Erdogan in Turkey. We have Putin. And the free markets and dem democracies are all of a sudden coming in to elect a Trump. Yeah, They're bringing in to say, we need something that's going to be a strong. So something's happening. It's happened in Poland. It's happened in Hungary. Uh, it's happened in uh, several of the Eastern European countries. So it's recognizing what does that mean? How do I make money with it? How do I protect my money? As Warren Buffett says, rule number one is not lose your money. Rule number two is new rule number one. <laughs> All right, and then you look at how can I make money. So I think it's uh, it's important for investors to recognize that there's a sea change. So when I write about this, I call macro themes. Okay. So Chindia, affectionately known for China, India, is forty percent of the world's population. Yeah. They're number two, one, and three in GDP per capita. Thirty years ago, they were represented ten percent of gold buying. Today, they're at fifty-three percent. They buy for love. Something's changes happened because now their GDP per capita is rising. People are coming out of poverty. They have a proclivity to buy gold. So that makes an interesting theme for the love trade. Now we take a look at trade. What two countries dominate trade? China and America. They're 40% of global trade. Yes. They get into a spat. What do you think that does? All right, it starts creating this rippling effect. So you really don't have to, and I write about this, government policies are a precursor to change, both fiscal and monetary policies. Yeah. So monetary policies are zero interest rates, negative interest rates to try to stimulate growth, unprecedented. And then fiscal policy is more regulations to try to control societies. So you have those two factors, now comes in, where do you make money with that? Yeah. So, and, and, and I'll leave on this note, because I want people to, to take, you're not going to learn everything from Frank Holmes through this podcast, I'm sorry, but you do write a newsletter, you are a frequent speaker on the, uh, I mean, everywhere it seems like, but um, where should people connect with you to get more information and connect to your newsletter? USFunds.com, that's simple, USFUNDS.com, uh, it's called Frank Talk, yep. and uh, the Investor Alert, which I, my team and myself publish every Friday night, and it goes out to, uh, I think, 50,000 people in, in uh, 160 countries or something. Wow, and you will get smarter by reading it, right? Uh, I try to make things simpler because <laughs> yeah. you won't believe how hard it was for me to understand blockchain and distill it down. Yeah. And uh, the last thing I'll share you with the blockchain, young guys like you, I never knew about Tinder. So my, my godson is showing, well look, Frank, what do you think of her? And I said, well, how do you know she's real? And I couldn't believe he trusted that what she was sending to him. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then Airbnb, it took me a long time to trust it. It took me a long time to trust uh, uh, Uber. It I took didn't a trust long time right for people to trust putting their credit card on the internet or on the web. And we do it just by pointing our phone at stuff and, now. And now China, 65% is all basically using uh, the WeChat format and it's all using your phone to buy everything. No credit cards, no cash. So yeah. the digital world is there, it's real, and uh, and I think it's all part of a new element of trust. Trust as long as someone is getting your data and they can use it somewhere else. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, well, thank you, Frank, for coming. Thank you for watching. It's uh, CSE TV down below. Subscribe if you're watching. 
If you're listening on Hashtag Finance, you're probably listening on Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, any of those channels, please subscribe. We have great guests like Frank now on for a second time. Thank you again for coming. And uh, thank you again for watching and listening. Thanks. Thank you. And I see you're married, so you don't have Tinder. <laughs> <laughs>